There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk about the figure of Robert McNamara, um, who was a, a, a pivotal kind of uh, political and intellectual figure in the uh, the development of uh, America's war in Vietnam, and who quite famously in his his later years became the the most repentant figure of the Kennedy and Johnson administrations um, and who featured in the the excellent documentary uh, The Fog of War by Errol Morris um, and talked about uh, the the in his view the the realities of the war McNamara is an interesting character for uh, a number of reasons, principally because of his kind of technocratic and almost businesslike view of war um, and his idea that war could be run through um, quotas and targets uh, and and that um, war was simply uh, a matter of more effectively wearing down the enemy. And, and most of this, of course, was incorrect, as, as history would, would later show. But today I'm looking at an excellent book, quite an old one, uh, The Anxious Years by Kim McQuaid, um, one of those amazing second-hand bookshop finds. But was still really, really worth getting as, as a kind of, um, a, as an overview of the the period took about 68 to 74. Um, So Kim McQuaid writes, Bob McNamara liked numbers. He understood them. His public life before the Vietnam War, in fact, had been spent mostly with numbers. Robert S. McNamara had been, in sequence, an economics major at the University of California, Berkeley, a Harvard Business School MBA, Briefly an accountant for Pricewaterhouse, back to Harvard as a professor in the business school, an officer and a gentleman in the United States Air Force during the Second World War, designing statistical control systems to improve the flow of everything from bomb loads on enemy targets to the personnel manning the planes which delivered them, a whiz kid in the planning statistics and financial analysis at Ford Motor Company after the war. In late 1960, the first president of the Ford Motor Company, one of the largest corporations in the United States and the world, who was not a, not a Ford family member. Bob McNamara knew his numbers cold and he knew what to do with them. To help the US, the Air Force blast Axis cities and supply lines into rubble, or to make a great deal of money for the Ford Motor Company. Uh, McNamara and um, Air Force General Curtis LeMay uh, worked out the most effective way of firebombing Japanese cities in, in, into ash. Um, the, the firebombing done to Japanese cities outweighed the damage of two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki many times over. And McNamara believed that wars could be won through this, uh, through through the kind of the the application of industrial processes and managerial processes to war, and I suppose he wasn't alone in thinking this. His counterpart in Nazi Germany would have been uh, Albert Speer, 
um, who applied these sorts of ideas to war production. The uh, the British under um, Arthur Bomber Harris um, saw had similar views on the the concentration and intensity of force uh, and the use of aerial intelligence to destroy targets that had been missed on previous raids. Kim McQuaid carries on to say. Bob McNamara of Detroit was the kind of individual who impressed others, especially other big business types, with high-level government experience. Bob was just the sort of fellow who could go to Washington and apply sound corporate principles to the business of running the country. So, at least, thought Robert Lovett, former wartime administrator-in-chief for air power, and one of the few post-war secretaries of defence under Harry S. Truman. When newly elected John Fitzgerald Kennedy sent his headhunters in search of elite corporate talent for the managerial bastions of the new frontier, Lovett, after turning down the position himself, suggested Bob McNamara of Ford as the sort of man to bring efficiency and order to the largest, most sprawling and often most contentious bureaucracy in the federal government, the Department of Defence. The introduction of uh, corporate figures into uh, the US government and into governments such as those of, of Great Britain has a long and contentious history, not one that we necessarily have to go into right now. But uh, Roosevelt uh, believed that uh, bringing in uh, both the uh, the best of, of academia and brains from uh, U.S. business um, was a, a, a kind of an astute move. And U.S. presidents generally have more leeway, particularly than, than British prime ministers, to appoint people to their cabinet, um, uh, to appoint whomsoever they choose to, to their, their cabinet, which is why the trend is uh, over time in America to having... Uh, more and more um, corporate figures uh, and business figures in cabinet um, at the expense of uh, people who are seasoned career politicians. So McNamara came from from, from this uh, world and it was it's, it's evidence of this, this kind of deep hegemonic idea that um, uh, business uh, decision making is uh, somehow more efficient than, than than anything else, and a country based on um, uh, free enterprise and and the, the the to some degree free functioning of markets inevitably produces the, this sort of ideology. Love it wasn't disappointed, writes Kim McQuaid. Bob McNamara got on famously at the Pentagon. He got things done and, in David Halberstam's pithy, pithy phrase, projected an image of the can-do man in the can-do society in the can-do era. One look at McNamara's pinstripe suits, his rimless actuarial eyeglasses, his prim businessman's coiffure, and you, know, uh, you knew that here was no bleeding-heart liberal with delusions of sainthood. Here stood a tough and no-nonsense business type who knew precisely what he was doing who expected the numbers to add up, and who expected you to spend your evenings, weekends and early mornings getting matters right. No, sir. Bob McNamara was no pushover, especially not when he had tens and eventually hundreds of billions to spend rearming America at its hour of presidentially identified maximum danger. To, Magnum, uh, to McNamara was delegated the chief responsibility to oversee and understand the largest arms build-up in peacetime US history up to that time, 
an effort fully equal to anything that Ronald Reagan later essayed. The build-up during McNamara's seven-year tenure in office quintupled to num um, the numbers of U.S. intercontinental nuclear missiles from 200 to 1,000, um, launched 41 Polaris-type nuclear-powered submarines carrying 656 rockets with thermonuclear-type um, nuclear, um, uh, uh, nuclear warheads attached, put 600 additional long-range B-52 bombers on the runways, and doubled or more than doubled the numbers of tactical fighter squadrons, combat-ready army divisions, short-range nuclear weapons, and delivered systems based in Western Europe. The air, um, the airlift capacity to get men and material from here to there, the specially trained anti-guerrilla counterinsurgency units such as the Green Berets, and the construction of naval ships. So it's interesting to consider the amount that McNamara emotionally must have had invested in victory in Vietnam. Here is somebody who was responsible for the biggest arms build-up in US history, bar none, um, except perhaps under George W. Bush anyway. Um, and um, his decision to um, prosecute the war in Vietnam in the way that he did, uh, and his imperviousness to all the intelligence that came back, the intelligence that later leaked by people like Daniel Ellsberg, um, showing that the war in uh, um, uh, Vietnam uh, was, the way it was being fought, was largely uh, un unwinnable, is perhaps, um, is perhaps understandable why he would choose to ignore um, the uh, evidence that would perhaps cast doubt on, on his decisions, given the amount of energy and treasure expended in, in this arms build-up, surely after all this spending, a country like America can't be humiliated uh, by a, a third world uh, peasant country. Um, Kim McQuaid writes, Robert McNamara was no administrative innocent. While he was presiding over the aforementioned production miracle, McNamara was also closing hundreds of redundant or out-of-date military installations uh, over the often vociferous oppos opposition of admirals and generals and US representatives noted for their political wallop. He was applying new systems of programme planning, budgeting and evaluation, and the management and retrieval of computerised data that were later used uh, with only spotty success in many of the federal agencies. Last and most important for our purposes here, Bob McNamara was the man with the action in the Vietnam War, the political point for President Kennedy and later President Johnson. Point man, sorry. The choice of Robert McNamara to do all these things and more was as inevitable as it was just. McNamara expressed the essence of a war manager, a man who saw conflict, Cold War or otherwise, as an equation to be solved logically and dispassionately by those who knew that the for that force should be coordinated, fine-tuned and complemented by equally fine-tuned diplomacy. Vietnam for McNamara was to be well-controlled and adjusted violence. Another version of the Cuban Missile Crisis of October 1962, during which confrontation with the communist aggressors would be calculated by judicious and sound escalation to choke off opposition. It's almost as if McNamara 
somebody who came from a technocratic and managerial world who uh, was of the generation of time in motion studies and Taylorism believed that there was a, a kind of a scientific and behavioral and, and uh, managerial way of winning the Cold War. Uh, and that by um, carefully looking at the data and calibrating one policy uh, against another, calibrating one, the movement of a division um, against the, a, a, another set of military options, that this could possibly work. And in a way, it looks to, uh, to our eyes now to being hopelessly naive. But actually, the, the McNamara's managerialism it endured long after he stepped down. Managerialism and bureaucratism in the US Army uh, and looking at uh, data and understanding uh, what decisions to make based on data has continued uh, to, to differing degrees of success. A great deal of lessons were learned from Vietnam, obviously, but um, it doesn't mean to say that necessarily uh, McNamara's way of doing things was thrown out. This strategy, writes Kim McQuaid, did not permit overreaction to threats. It kept military men who couldn't see forests for trees on tight leashes, and it had the best chance of causing the puppet masters of Moscow and Peking to eventually drop the strings uh, holding up their third world creatures and to desert movements and leaders that were passive tools transmitting Kremlin and Middle Kingdom commands. McNamara, the war manager, to use another pungent description from David Halberstam, dominated the action, the play, and the terms by which success in Vietnam was to was determined. McNamara essentially saw himself the as the, 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 the CEO, the managing director of the Department of Defense, um, and believed that he was able to use the skills that he already had from the Ford Motor Company to coordinate an entirely different set of processes, which is the, the, the waging of, of war. In a way, it was this. In, uh, in a way, that was intelligent, forceful, courageous, decent, and everything else, uh, and everything, in fact, but wise, says Halberstam. McNamara's domination arose, not surprisingly, from his clarity of expression, strength of purpose, and optimism about the war. All this, in turn, was based on the single overriding fact that Bob had the numbers, and the numbers added up. But the Vietnam War is about more than numbers. The Vietnam War is about the the Vietnamese people, unsurprisingly, and the, 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 the passions and desires of the Vietnamese people who had fought um, by the Ameri time the Americans had, had arrived for two decades um, to liberate themselves from uh, French and then, and then um, American colonialism by the time you know the, the Gulf of Tonkin incident happens and there's a, a American uh, a mass American build-up um, and to liberate themselves from in the, in the south from the corrupt rule of the DM regime um, not to say that the uh, North Vietnamese regime was a particularly attractive one or one which wouldn't be exceedingly brutal in its own right but a great many North, uh, a great many peasants in South Vietnam saw the offer that was made by the North as being infinitely more attractive because it involved land redistribution, 
than the more of the same option that was being presented by firstly by President Diem, then by the hunter of generals that took over after him. Um, and the other problem, of course, was the uh, antagonisms, the, the religious antagonisms, antagonisms that existed in Vietnam, uh, which had, was traditionally Buddhist, but had endured uh, a long period of um, Catholic encroachment uh, and the, the prospect under DM that Catholicism would be made the state religion of, uh, of Vietnam. So these are the things that you can't really get on a spreadsheet. These are the things that you you, you can't really um, understand from the perspective of, of managerialism. If you, uh, McNamara was mystified as to why the war wasn't being won and it's because the political uh, offer to the, the poorest Vietnamese wasn't being made and didn't exist. There was very little messiness then in the US Secretary of Defense's conceptual universe. No babble, no guesstimating or maundering, no quantitative seat of the pants speculation. Bob McNamara, like so many of the bright young men that he brought to the Pentagon, also arrived in, uh, um, and who also arrived in droves to administer other proliferating programs um, of the activist Kennedy and Johnson years, were economists by training. There were people who lived in universes of the quantifiable, in the world of statistics and realities which could be put on graphs and charts, and tables are expressed in percentages. McNamara, uh, as even a sympathetic Washington military journalist wrote of him, did not really believe that the issue uh, that all issues could be quantified, just most. Every quantitative measure we have shows that we're winning this war, McNamara himself stated after his first visit to South Vietnam in April 1962. These words, which his enemies on the left and the right were to throw back at him 10,000 times, are a requiem for the approach towards war which McNamara embodied. For McNamara at base, tried to quantify the unquantifiable. He looked upon the messy and inexact business of political insurrection in Vietnam in the same way that he had viewed his statistical tabulations and specifications for the United States Air Force 20 years earlier as a production destruction problem. It was basically a matter of bomb loads and delivery systems rather than flesh and blood human beings who flew the bombers into flak and fighter aircraft um, of material rather than morale, of mankind rather than men, of quantity and quantification rather than of quality. It was a matter of body counts and kill ratios, Hamlet evaluation systems and interdiction devices and all the rest of the output indicators that had the power to persuade those who had never fired a shot in a battle or seen a battlefield in the midst of carnage, those who had instead devoted their energies to providing the guns and the bombs and the butter to put the poor devils who knew what it was like to piss in their pants in, in panic while hoping that luck or God or fate or whatever it was, was with them and not with the other poor devils who were shooting at them. So here we can see, and later on to his credit, McNamara was also able to reflect on the um, on the, on the follies of, of his own perspective uh, on Vietnam. Um, the McNamara fallacy, Public opinion pollster Daniel Yankelevich concluded sadly in 1972 
was a four-part march towards phonics. The first step is to measure whatever can be easily measured. This is okay as far as it goes. The second step is to disregard that which can't be measured, or to give it an arbitrary quantitative value. This is artificially misleading. The third step is to presume that what can't be measured easily isn't really very important. This is blindness. The fourth step is to say what we can't easily, um, be, easily be measured really doesn't exist. This is suicide. Yet all of the self-defeating artifice mentioned by Yankelevich, and more besides, writes uh, Kim McQuaid, was practiced by McNamara and McNamara's men, both civilian and military. Shortly before he left the Department of Defence in the latter days of the Tet Offensive, McNamara himself had apparently begun to sense the fundamental accuracy of much of what fellow number cruncher Yankelevich would say. He would confide to friends, Harvestown reported, that if they had only known more about the enemy, more about the society, if there had only been more information, more intelligence about the other side, perhaps it would never have happened. Though, of course, one reason there was so little knowledge about the enemy and the other side was that no one was as forceful as McNamara in blocking its entrance into the debates. And here we see a, a kind of colonial attitude in um, McNamara's preference for raw numbers over knowledge of the society in which America was waging war. The the, the kind of the level of rank ignorance about uh, Iraq, for example, were, it sort of mirrors this that um, America in both instances, waged wars in countries that were uh, difficult to understand, well, particularly difficult to understand if one makes no effort to uh, find out anything about it, and riven with complicated politics and dynamics which have a real outcome on military successes uh, and, and a, a real bearing on whether it's possible to have a, a success at all. These sort of nuances and subtleties were things that, that McNamara didn't like and didn't feel um, accustomed to or capable of really um, a, a addressing. So uh, as Yankelevich says, these sorts of things were set to one side and, and ignored and overlooked. Um, in a way, the uh, approach in Iraq was, um, you know, the uh, refusal to to, to recognise that there were different competing ethnic groups and that um, ethnic and religious rivalries would explode without any, um, uh, without Saddam Hussein, and particularly if um, the uh, Shias were given um, sort of militia powers over the rest of the country. Um, but in that instance, there was a, a far greater um, deliberacy on the part of Donald Rumsfeld to create as much anarchy as possible, uh, famously saying, you know, that freedom is messy when it's like the museums in Baghdad were being burned to the ground and priceless uh, works of art and treasures being uh, being just destroyed. Um, uh, McNamara wasn't like that at all. Um, McNamara um, was not... Uh, about the the kind of the this sort of like neo uh, neocon kind of uh, anarchism almost of uh, destroying a state and then creating this notional idea of freedom uh, where some magical phoenix of liberal democracy will uh, will will arise after uh, epic amounts of bloodshed. 
Not at all. Um, McNamara believed that uh, Western goals, which are inherently benign in his eyes, and um, US uh, policy in the Cold War could be achieved through the rational application of managerial techniques. And it was this kind of unblinking uh, or blinkered, if you will, nature to uh, nuance and complexity, which was uh, not the deciding factor in the chaos of the Vietnam War, because uh, the disaster in Vietnam has, has many fathers, if you will. Um, but it was a significant factor in creating unworkable policies um, uh, that by 1968 presented uh, first Johnson and, and then Nixon with the realisation that the uh, the Vietnam War was was unwinnable. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. You can still pick up uh, this book uh, online. Um, if there's anything that I've talked about in the last few months that you take the fancy to, uh, follow the links below. Uh, order from Storytellers Inc. They'll give you 10% off if you quote explaining history. They're a little independent bookshop. They're worth supporting. And that's really what we should be doing at Christmas time. Thanks very much, everybody. And I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye bye. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.